Hello there! Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. Um, this is episode 63 of Star Wars in a Galaxy. This is also the premiere of season 8 of Star Wars in a Galaxy. That's right, we are on season 8 of the show and season 5 of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Um, and Jacob, tell me, where does season 5 of Star Wars, The Clone Wars start? Season 5 of Star Wars The Clone Wars starts with Revival and Darth Maul, but that is not where we are starting, no. We have that saved for another time. We are starting with the Onderon Quadrilogy, famous for some, infamous for others, such as myself. So yeah, I think we have a lot to cover today. Yeah, we do, and I'm very annoyed because you stole my joke, which is, I, I thought you were, I was so convinced you were going to go on and I'm like, you're wrong, it's Revival, but we're not doing that today. Yeah. Um, oh, I stole your thunder. We, no, it's fine, it's fine. We uh, figured that Revival, Revival actually takes place around where the other ones do anyway. So, we're actually preserving the chronological order. Um, we're just, we just decided, uh, yeah. So, um, never fear the chronological order is... Intact, even though we were doing 5, 2, 5, 3, 5, 4, 5, 5, and then 6, 7, 8, 9, I think 10, 11, 12, 13, 1, 14, 15, 16, which makes absolutely no sense. But welcome to Star Wars The Clone Wars, everybody. Um, I think The Clone Wars is hilarious, because if you actually want to watch it in the in-universe chronological order, yeah. you got to do all this crazy machete order chopping and and splicing between seasons and shuffling everything around to make 100 i would also point out to you that this didn't end when disney bought star wars because i realized that they just randomly put the martez sisters arc before the bad batch arc of the clone wars even though the bad batch arc of the clone wars was released before the martez sisters arc just to mess with us do we actually know that they take place Yes, it's like, listed on the official Star Wars website that the Martez Sisters arc takes place before the Bad Batch arc. Wow. Despite being released before, released afterwards, it makes absolutely no sense. Okay, that kind of disappoints me because there is, there is no, there is like no reason. There's like zero reason that it has to be that way. They just decided. <laughs> they just you know decided. What? Let's, 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 uh, they, maybe they thought that the Bad Batch arc or... Maybe they thought that the it would be better for marketing if they had like a more hyped arc. Yeah. Coming in the beginning, I can only Maybe. imagine they they decided for that reason because I really can't I really can't think of any other reason. Yeah. Why they it's would do so that? So strange. Um. Anyway, uh, let's get down to uh the Onderon arc, which is a very interesting arc. Um, I'll give you a little insight. For me, actually, this is one of my favorite arcs of the show. All right. No matter the criticisms I have, and I do narrow in on some criticisms I have of this arc, but only because I feel like to keep it, like, balanced and to keep it fair, I gotta put some things I'm not crazy about, but, like, they're really just nitpicks because I love the, um, grand scheme of the arc. I love what it does. Um, but, uh, yeah. You want to summarize War on Two Fronts? A War on Two Fronts. So, Onderon has been taken over by the Separatists, with uh, King Rash leading the droid army who has deposed King Dendup. And, of course, Saw and Stila Guerrera are, you know, they're leading this uh, this rebellion. Um, 
this insurgency on Onderon. And we start off with the Jedi having a debate in the council about whether or not to to help the insurgency. And they're kind of arguing, you know, is it terrorism? Is it legitimate? Eventually, they decide to go kind of train the rebels. Um, this falls apart pretty quickly. There's a lot of fighting, um, a lot of training as well in this episode. And it kind of, it kind of ends up just... Wait, give me a second. Eventually, the droids zero in. There's a lot of fighting... You know, a little little moment of triumph. Uh, the rebels they they beat level one of the droids, so so to speak. Um, and and it kind of it kind of ends off there, like not not a huge cliffhanger, just kind of a a moment of okay, we're in this, we're we're taking the fight to the droids, and it, and it it kind of just smoothly segues into uh in into front runners, I would say. Absolutely. This a lot of this episode takes place um, outside of the um, outside of the main city. By the way, Jacob, just to pause for a second, do you remember what the main city of Onderon is called? I think it should be pronounced Iziz based on the spelling, but everyone seems to call it Isis. Yes, this was before the rise of the terrorist group in our real world. But yeah, I-Z-I-Z is pronounced Isis in this, so whenever we say Isis, <laughs> I guess you know what we're talking about. I hope this doesn't get, like, automatically censored by the internet or something. Really hope not yeah, either, no, but you know I what? Know. It's fine. I don't fine. think that's possible. I don't think so. Um, but it, that is a little bit ironic. It's given, so strange. Given all the, um, given the real-world parallels this episode has with the United States government's habit of funding terrorist groups that eventually turn on them. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was thinking about that. And the Republic does turn into the Empire, and Saw does eventually fight against the Empire, and, oh my god, this might have had allegorical... This is, a, this is a little bit too... This is a little bit too timely. Yeah. It's a little bit too timely. Whoops! I'd rather have been watching this last year, or the year before that, or the year before that. But, you know, it's all good. We're good. We're Let's fine. get into it. So, anyway, so... War on two fronts. Uh, war on two fronts. Forging cookie is fear is a malleable weapon. Hmm. What, what do you think about this one? I don't really have a lot to say here. Well, I want to talk about this, and I'm going to be talking about this a lot during the episode. When you think of this arc, even though it takes place during the prequel trilogy era, you should not be thinking prequel trilogy. This arc, I'm going to argue, is the, the most, most original, original trilogy Clone Wars arc we get in the entire Clone Wars series. Hmm. Okay, what, what makes you say that? rebels against an empire. How many times do they call them rebels and their group a rebellion? This, and they use original trilogy tonal music. They, the battle droid in this episode asks to see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. The yeah, there are kind of a lot of references now that you now that you mention it. The it parallels kind of, to the original trilogy are just shocking, honestly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's, it's 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 fascinating. Uh, and um, you know, I like it because you know, Saw ends up forming, you know, the partisans. Um, after the rise of the Empire. Um, and he ends up influencing a lot of people, including Mothma, including Bail Organa, including, um, 
all of those people um, who formed the Alliance to Restore the, uh, to, to the Republic, um, later called the Rebel Alliance. So in a weird way, who is responsible for the rebellion? That's right, Darth Vader. I know Ahsoka and Obi-Wan were there too, but it was Anakin's idea. Just saying, I think that's pretty cool. That is pretty funny, especially considering that Anakin really was the one in the Jedi Council in this first scene pushing for for um for some pretty questionable tactics you know um yeah i think this is honestly a good example of anakin kind of slipping towards the dark side and moving more towards that mentality of i will do whatever it takes to defend that which i love and that which i cherish that kind of gets him into gets him into hot water and eventually leads to his downfall in revenge of the sith in this case that which he loves being the Republic, the entire Republic, when he's like, oh, we're going to attack soft targets. I don't like to, he says, like, I don't like to think of it as terrorism. I like to think of it as an insurgency. He insists it's not terrorism, even though he's advocating, obviously, for attacking, quote unquote, soft targets. And he he just says that, and his justification for that isn't personal so much as it is just oh, the Republic, we need to get these systems back in the Republic's fold. And I think that's interesting because this is one of the one times that Anakin kind of doesn't go down the dark path because of a person. But in this, it really is his devotion to the Republic and the idea of the Republic. This is an interesting arc with Anakin and the Dark Side because I feel like it's one of the only times where Anakin does the right thing for the wrong reasons. Mm, what, What do you mean by that? Well... I think, I, I think the idea of this insurgency is actually a good one. I disagree with the reasons that Anakin had to do it. Hmm. I, I kind of feel the opposite almost. I would almost say that it's the right reasons or the right justification for the, for the wrong action. I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of talk in this arc about the will of the people. Yeah. And the will of the people was not to be subjugated by the separatists. And if you just pitch that to the council, then I could be more on board with it. But there's a line in that scene, as we'll get to, this could be a great new weapon for us. I'm like, no, Anakin, no, you're thinking about this wrong. Don't think about this as serving the Republic. Think about this as serving the people. It, it comes in line, at least from my, in my opinion, with that scene from Attack of the Clones with Padme um, in the grassy fields. You know, um, I think the people should, um, I think the leaders should sit down and discuss what's in the best interest of the people and then do it. Well, that's what we do. The problem is that not everybody can agree. Um, well, then they should be made to. Made to by who? By someone. Someone wise. Anakin is trying to use his idea of that they should be made to on an entire freaking planet. Now, I think the strategy itself and the idea itself is actually a good one. I just think he does it for the wrong reasons. But I want to hear your thoughts. Okay, that's fair. I think I'm, in, I'm interested to, to talk more about the will of the people because something that I noticed was that both, even if it's not said explicitly, both sides in this, both the insurgency, both King Dendup, and also King Rash and the Separatist regime. You can say the rebellion of the Empire. We'll be fine. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I'm, that's not really what I mean, though. But I think they both both sides really 
when in their arguments for why they're doing what they're doing, really lay claim to the will of the people. And they're basically saying the people are on our side. You know, Rash is like, oh, they're they're terrorists, they're criminals, they don't care about the safety of the people, the people are on our side. And then obviously the the insurgents, the the Guerreras, and and their their troops are saying, oh well, we have to do this because it's the will of the people to be free. And what's interesting is that while it ultimately does kind of pan out that the people are more or less on the side of the insurgency, you know, they end up attacking the battle droids. What's interesting is that it seems like that happens not as much just because the people are really with them or because the people really, really, really care. I mean, obviously they probably do care about their freedom, but they do care about their freedom, let's say. They do. And yet they they don't really show support for the rebellion and they are scared by it in the beginning. And, and it's only because of these elaborately planned, almost publicity stunts that the rebels do that they really claim the will of the people. You know, by by choosing to save King Dendup right when he's about to be executed so that everyone can see, even though it puts him in more danger, by putting up the giant holograms. You know what I mean? So I think that to, to say that one group has the will of the people, that's more of a, almost a rhetorical device. And I would say part of what grounds this episode in the real world, and when I think about it, when I think about this episode as referencing especially America's involvement in the Middle East, which I think it certainly is, even for the time when it was created, you know, a little bit closer to the to the beginning of the Iraq War and the beginning of the, the American involvement in Afghanistan, the war on terror. I think that that is... I, I, I'd say I, I guess I interpreted the idea of the will of the people as something a bit more cynical. Here's, here's the thing, actually. Here's what it is. I think... The insurgents actually do have the will of the people, but not for the reason that you may think they do. I think the insurgents have the will of the people simply because they are the people. Stila and Saw weren't like any high ups in Onderon, Onderonian politics, from what I could tell. They are they they are the average people. They are the ordinary people. And like and and they and and they have they're a little bit they're more in touch in, with what it's like to be an everyday Onderonian. However, the separatists, if you look at the entire separatist command, none of them are Onderonian. I don't think Rash is Onderonian. There's just like there's like that one general. Tandon. There's that one general. Yeah. Tandon. That's it. And by the way, but, what happens to Tandon? Yeah. He goes to the people's side. But 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 but, but listen. At the same time, the Guerreras are, they are knowingly, they say, like, we're going to strike, and then before before the Separatists know it, we're going to fade back into the crowd. They're knowingly using the Onderonian people as cover so that they can conduct warfare and then use civilians as their cover. So I think that while they do have the will of the people, I think that, especially given how, how scared... The show takes pains to show that the Andoronian people are, especially in the beginning of this, of this uprising. I think the point, the point to me was that the will of the people isn't just something that you have 
or 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 don't have magically that they really had to work to get the people on their side and and i think they did so through kind of insincere means okay and that's an interesting opinion i've never actually i don't think i've ever thought about it that way which is it's an interesting idea I don't necessarily agree with you, but I I can see how you think yeah. that. Agree to disagree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I get I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's see what else. Um, so yeah. By the way, um, so the Jedi Council in this beginning scene boggles me to confusing extents. There's so many things they say that just blow my mind with how crazy they are. Hmm. Obi-Wan, how we conduct war is what distinguishes us from others, says the man who faked his own death in order to stop the assassination of a political leader, an event that he totally did not have to go to. Funding rebels to overthrow a legitimate government puts innocent lives at risk, says the man who purposefully left innocent people in slavery on the planet Tatooine because there was this really special boy they needed to get. Okay. Just okay. Obi Wan drops the ball in this arc. To the point of of uh, to to the first point, I don't think that there's a comparison between faking your own death and knowingly putting civilian lives in danger. I don't really think that. I don't really think that it's. I don't really think that it's right to accuse Obi Wan, as I as I interpret your as I as I interpret your comparison of doing of hypocrisy given the the complete difference of the of the two scenarios yeah that that actually I realized how weird that was when I was saying it here's a better one how we conduct war is what distinguishes from other us from others says the order that fought one of the biggest battles of the war and developed one of the biggest weapons um, that they ever used in said war, not to defend a population, but to defend said population's resources. What are you referring to? Zillow Beast. Mm, yeah. Battle of Malisar. How we conduct war. How I do would, you conduct I war, th- Jedi? I think, that, um, I, I think that that's interesting, but... I think that ultimately you have to you have to be able to distinguish between the Jedi Order and the Republic. The Jedi Order they didn't give the order to drop the bomb. That was that was all Chancellor Palpatine. It was Chancellor Palpatine who was invested in getting those resources, and the Jedi were ultimately his pawns in that. And it was kind of Anakin who was doing that. So I, I also have to. I also have to, to disagree on that front, although I do think it's a good point. I think that, um... I can't believe it. I'm making the point about the Jedi losing their I know, I know. And this Jacob is, is disagreeing. I know, this is hilarious. <laughs> this is hilarious. But I, I don't know. I, I don't really get... I guess I just don't really get where you're coming from on this one, because I think that Obi-Wan... Like, I do think that the while the high road is, is kind of... A, while it's kind of a dangerous path, and I think it's very, and this arc is honestly a prime example of why, of what's dangerous about the Jedi at this time, where oh, they're yeah. too self-assured in their own moral high ground. In their no own moral in, what? No pun intended. <laughs> I was going to say no pun intended. Um, it's all right. <laughs> but, but I think that, because um, I, I think that there is in that a lot of 
complacency and arrogance in kind of just I think I think there's two ways to interpret it which is that I think it's both a good and a bad thing that he says that it's a bad thing because it just kind of assumes that the Jedi are like morally good and that they don't really have work to do and they can they never make really, a mistake yeah or that they don't make mistakes or that they haven't made mistakes on the other hand it is a very important reminder and it's really something that Anakin forgets because at a certain point it's like Anakin's like, oh, I'm fighting for the Republic because let, let's, what, what would Anakin say if we, he says why he's fighting for the Republic? It's more humane. It, it, the Republic is, is um, it treats people better probably than the Separatists. The separatists are, are, are brutal. We have people they're fighting murderers. our army. They have machines fighting in their army. Yeah. They're brutal. They're they murderers. Crap, they have they machines. Don't. But then at a certain point, Anakin stops demonstrating the values that he is fighting for. And at that point, at that point, then what are you, what are you fighting for? Absolutely. Like if the, if the, um, like I think it's the, it's the, I'm going to, then you're just fighting for, for, uh, for power. Yeah. And the Jedi, I think that's ultimately the problem with the Jedi is that they, they end up just fighting for, uh, or with Anakin, I think. The problem, Anakin's problem is that he ends up fighting for power and doing whatever's, and by doing whatever, he uses, the, like, whatever means necessary, pretty much, in the end. Like, by the end of the Clone Wars, he's like, oh, gotta save the Republic, gotta, gotta fight for the Republic's victory by any means necessary. Yeah. Um, Which it, is what lowers him to the dark side in the end. It, in, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. With the quote I use... Not frequently at all. Jacob's probably... This is the first time Jacob's heard me use this quote. <laughs> um, in this war, a danger there is of losing who we are. Yeah, this is a perfect... I think this arc is a perfect example of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I want to go on a little tangent about Onderon very quickly because I find this interesting. So Onderon, did you know that it was in, is in a Legends planet? Yes. Do you know the extra bit of lore it had in Legends? Probably don't know what you're referring to. So it actually, there was actually a lot of Sith activities in the planet in the days of the Old Republic. Mm. I really wish they kept that. I really wish we could have seen a little bit of a darker side of the planet. They got everything else right in the entire, they got everything else right. But they decided to scrap the Sith. Um, like, I, it's not like a dark side planet, but Sith came there and Sith did bad things there in Legends. Yeah, uh, w- w- yeah. Is what do you think the um the implications of that are in the story? Like, do you think there's a do you think that they brought Onderon back in this way, kind of knowing that it has that pedigree? Oh no, in I, Legends. I think they just, just took a planet. Honestly, I think they just took a planet from Legends. They're like, oh, we can do a jungle planet. That would be cool. And they're like, oh, we can't really work the Sith thing into the arc. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, I would have loved them too, but, you know, that's just that's just a minor nitpick. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically this whole episode is kind of, from here on out, there's the training portion and then the fighting portion. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think the meeting um, of the... Uh, the meet... They, when they meet the um, Stila and Saw and Dreamy Lux... I think it's one of the best parts of this arc, actually. Hmm. Um, and that, not, not the arc, but the episode. I mean the episode. Um, 
So let's talk about the way the Republic, the the scouts find Anakin and Ahsoka and Rex and Obi-Wan. With that very undercover stealth, like, does this remind you of anything? Because it reminds me of the Partisans. Mm. Um, Because what I realized a lot when watching this arc, and I forgot about this part of it, you know, we see Sagarara for the first time in this arc, and he was a minor character in this arc. Like, he was a minor character in Star Wars and Legends, but now in the expanded canon, he has become one of the biggest characters that hops across canon whenever he feels like it. I think he's, he's been a in, cannon hopper. He's a cannon. I think he has been in every medium of Star Wars: live action movie with Rogue One, mm-hmm. uh, animated TV show with um, well, live action TV show. I think I think he's going to be in Andor. Um, oh wow! Uh, animated TV show with the Clone Wars, the Bad Batch, and Rebels. Wow, he's been in. Wait, when was he in? When was he in the Bad Batch? I'm the so first scared. episode. And the third episode. Remember when they go to hunt down at his partisans and they... they oh, right, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and they realize they're like... I got it con- yeah, I got it confused with uh, season seven of The Clone Wars. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and... Um, shoot. Um, and, and video games. Fallen Order. He's in Fallen wow. Order. Um, and he's in books. And I'll mention an appearance of his in a book a little later, which... I'm a little annoyed about, but like you'll you'll see why what my major annoyance is, and they're comic adaptations of Rogue One, so that's five of five. Wow. Yeah. He's prolific. He's prolific. Um, but one of the things I was gonna say about Saw that's really interesting is that I forgot how little he changed from now to say Rogue One. Yeah, he really does not. Like I I remember he made a little bit of character development, and he did. Um, and that's one of the things that sucks about this arc, actually, the most for me, is that knowing he made that character development, and knowing that it crashes down as soon as, uh, as soon as, uh, as fast as that HMP gunship that crashes down and kills his sister at the end of the arc. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. It, am I wrong, oh, Am I yeah. wrong? It, no, it, you're not. He, it, it, he becomes more delusional than ever, and the funny, well, the funny thing is, I think he is a little bit... He does a lot of the same techniques that he does in Rogue One 20 years later, and yet he's the one who, um, in the Bad Batch uh, premiere, tells the Bad Batch about adapting with the future or dying with the past when he's basically in using the same playbook for 20 years. Who's adapting now, Saw? <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree, actually. It's, a, it's an interesting... It's an interesting point. I, I just find it funny that Saw... Saw Guerrero is a fascinating character to me, um, and one of the reasons is that he... He has this very Sisyphean struggle, you know, like the mall struggle. Yeah. That's, that's Saw's struggle. He keeps pushing this rebellion boulder over the hill, um, uh, and he never quite pushes it up because he doesn't realize that his... Methods are just kind of ridiculous. Sometimes. Yeah, it's too. He just alienates everyone. Oh yeah. But I think in some ways, his methods do change a little bit. In terms of they get, they they get more extreme. I think kind of his sister dying pushes him over the edge in a way. Yeah. That kind of kind of sends him on a loop. Yeah. 
I think his sister is actually the only thing physically stopping him from... Like, like not even metaphorically, physically stopping him. I think the only reason he doesn't do ex- more extreme things is because his sister has to say no. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of his sister, she's my favorite character in this arc. By far. She's my, she's one of my favorite characters in the Clone Wars, period. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta admit to you. I watched her death scene again this morning with that fourth episode, and it hurt as much as the first time I watched it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm never really going to get over that one. Her death hit me in a way not a lot of other Star Wars deaths have. Why, why do you think that is for a character that we don't really yeah. I think get she was that developed of. very well in the arc. I think she, was, she had a very good arc of becoming a leader and coming into her own and being the badass that she is. Mm, and yeah. I saw all of the potential that came with her character, and I just saw it, like, you know, crash down to the ground when she died. Do you, so do you, do you think maybe, would you say that it was a mistake to kill her off? Or to not at least give her more time? I think they could have... I, I understand the choice they make, and I think I appreciate it for the arc. It's one of those things where it's like... I, I'd say the same thing with Luke's death in The Last Jedi to a lesser degree, much lesser degree. Which is that... I didn't want Luke to die, but I understood why they made the decision when they did. And this is what... this is That was Stila. I think Stila dying is terrible, but I understand why they felt like they had to do that. I personally disagree with that, but I understand how it works in the story, and I'm fine with how it works in the story. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so, can we talk about Stila, Stila's kind of rivalry, I guess, with Ahsoka in this episode? Because that is both bewildering and hilarious to me. Like, the Ahsoka and Stila meets... So Ahsoka and Stila meet, and immediately Stila is just needlessly aggressive and, and snarky to Ahsoka, and it almost seems like they're... It's kind of. It almost seems like the, the show is kind of hinting that they're maybe kind of fighting, fighting over uh, over Lux a little bit. What do you What do you think about that? I think it's an interesting rivalry. I actually think the more interesting rivalry is Lux and Saul, um, which is a little bit more clearly defined. But I think Ahsoka's entire role in this arc is a really strange one. Um, what is that mantra that she constantly has to live by in this arc? Anakin says it to her over and over and over again. I can't Purpose must come before feelings. Purpose must come before feelings. Yeah. Which, we'll get into why that makes Anakin like such a freaking hypocrite later, but um, needless to say, uh, if Anakin had to perform a mission um, uh, that involved Padme and somebody told him purpose must come before feelings... Imagine how quickly he'd fly off the handle. Yeah. Um, which is pretty funny that he does it to Ahsoka, just <laughs> completely deadpan. You know, I actually, I think Ahsoka and Stila's situation is interesting because Ahsoka clearly admires Stila. And I, actually, I think they both, as after Stila sees the kind of person Ahsoka is, I think they both like each other. But I think they're both suspicious of each other around Lux. It's a yeah. really fascinating 
relationship that's never really... It's sort of hinted at subtly. Um, It, of course, gets wrapped up in that final episode, which is one of the most wholesome moments in the entire Clone Wars. After um, they kiss Steel and Lux, um, and, and, and Lux gets on that mount, Ma- uh, mount with Ahsoka and she punches him on the arm which is one of the most <laughs> there's so much arm punching in this episode I love this in- this arc is a really interesting situation for me because you know it's an interesting twist on a common a classic Clone Wars trope you know we have episodes bounty hunters defenders of peace on the wings of Karadex we see the Republic training people to fight for themselves the funny thing is these people already know how to fight yeah so this is teaching about them how to fight better and teaching how to how, how to wage war, which I, I find it interesting that that's it. And like, also they're starting yeah. from a different place. They're also ending in a different place because their goal is not just to defend themselves. Their goal is to retake their planet. Yeah. Anything else with the training portion, or do you want me to talk? Do you want me to rant about Inasagi? Um, I want to hear your rant. Let's okay, go for it. Inasagi. So this is something from the book Rebel Rising. Basically, um, Saw is at Saw's infiltrating during the time of the Empire a imperial ceremony of some kind on the planet of Inasaki. Okay. And Jin Erso's there with her, with him when he she's a young kid and she's working for him. Um, and she has the role, and she has some stuff that she's not supposed to see, but of course sees it because the story needs her to. Um, uh, but basically what Saw does is there's a bunch of Imperials there. There's also just a bunch of civilians attending the ceremony, and his people, um, and his, his partisans use these flechette launchers. Oh. They're basically just tiny little blades. Yep. And on the crowd, and they shred Imperials and civilians like alike to bits. That does sound like Saw. The Inusagi Massacre. So anytime I mentioned, hey, what would X characters think about Inusagi? You know, what would Stila think about Inusagi? What would what would what would what would, what would X characters say about Inusagi? That's what I'm talking about. Um, and it, it it to me symbolizes how far Saw fell after his sister died. Yeah. Stila would never think about doing anything like Inusagi on Honoron. Yeah, definitely not. She, uh, no way. No way. No way, no how. But Saw does it like, like, he just does it. I think Saw kind of has the exact opposite outlook from Obi-Wan, actually. You know, where Obi-Wan says, oh gosh, help me remember. I can't remember what's the exact quote. Like, how we conduct warfare is what differentiates us from our enemies or something Distinguishes like that. us from others, Distinguishes but yeah. Distinguishes us from others. Saw says, Saw would probably say, no, what distinguishes us from our enemies is what we believe in and what we're what our goals are and the only the only thing distinct the only thing that we're distinguished by in the way we conduct warfare is whether we win or lose and when we and, and that's kind of his whole mo and that's basically his purpose when he pops up in rebels is he he challenges um the the challenges mon mothma and he challenges ezra morally in that way as well Absolutely. There's a line that I think it's Obi-Wan. Maybe Ahsoka says to Stila, be mindful of your frustration. It will only hold you back. I'm like, 
Thank you, finally saying something good. Where are these Jedi? Where are the practical Jedi? Not the high on the pedestal Jedi. Where are the practical Jedi? Yeah, I mean, it is a little weird to me. Yeah, you know, right right before right before the action begins, but you know, in this, to me, kind of strange, long, drawn-out sequence where they're all just kind of throwing balls and, and being rivals with one another... Stila gets so pissed off that she leaves because she can't, like, th- throw a grenade through a... She can't throw a grenade slow enough after, like, five tries. That that part kind of confuses me. It, it was a little strange, I will admit that, definitely. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's... The training sequence is actually... I, I like it a lot, but there is some interesting stuff in there. Um, also, let's talk about... How Ahsoka just gets slapped down a bunch in this episode. Obi-Wan to Stila. You have clearly mastered your ability to focus. Anakin to Ahsoka right afterwards. Snips. Are you losing focus? Yeah, she kind of gets... She gets the real short end of the stick. Yeah. In this episode for no good reason, really. I feel like she's the one... Per- she's like the one person in this episode... One of the She's one of the only main characters in the episode who isn't completely wilding out. Absolutely. No, Ahsoka is doing what she needs to do. This is an arc I feel like, you know, we'll see uh, Ahsoka's disillusionment with the Jedi very soon. And I think this is one of the arc that sets the stages of that, actually. Because Anakin and Ahsoka, not intentionally, but by the code, like, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, Obi-Wan and Anakin clearly care about her. But, and I would go as far to say they love her, but they say things to her that if they really slow down, like, if Anakin ever said them to Padme, if Obi-Wan ever said them to Satine, if they, sorry, if they ever thought about saying them to Padme or Satine, they would slow themselves down. But because it's another Jedi. Yeah, I think the problem, I think the problem is that, I think we also see this a bit with Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship. Oh, 100%. We also see this problem there, which is that like, tough love... Like, obviously, the Jedi are very big on tough love. You know, the way yeah. they... Of course, like they're, they're they're supposed to have no attachments. A lot of times you see the tough love, but the thing is, I, I think tough love only goes so far if that's not also balanced out with genuine, genuine displays. I think tough love is a form of care, but I think if you don't, if you don't also... If you don't also balance that out with like displays of 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 warmth and tenderness, and I mean, doesn't not necessarily tenderness, you know, with the Jedi necessarily, but like you know, warmth and and kindness and directly appreciating someone. Like, there's only so far that can go, and I think that that's kind of one of the reasons that Ahsoka, in my mind, end up ends up leaving. The Jedi Order, obviously, it's not the main one. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, they they don't even, like, really... Like, the Jedi Order doesn't even really apologize. They're just like, oh, the Force works in mysterious ways. This was all a test. Too bad. So sad. <laughs> yeah, uh, too bad, so sad. Too bad, stay mad. Stay, you know? stay mad, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like... Dang. No. Yeah. Um, okay, we're, we're, like, fully yeah. off track now, believe But, it's um, I, I want to just say, do this one. I just love this, um... We gotta get some battle droid humor, right? Oh, yeah. Of course. What is that? It looks like an explosive. How can you... 
That's the funny thing also is that not, e- not even like a full episode in, not even 10 screen time minutes, 10, 15 minutes on the screen after Anakin justified helping the Onderonian revolution by saying, oh, we won't use weapons that have collateral damage. We'll just harm, it'll just be like droid poppers and stuff. They are chucking bombs. They're chucking bombs. And then it gets to the point in the fourth episode where Hondo's just giving them missiles. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, Hondo. Bro, Hondo. I, I for, of course he's in this. Yeah. Like, uh, like they're like, this thing, these things will only harm droids, and ballistic missiles go in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's hilarious, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, front runners, the 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 rebels have entered the city. They are they are causing mischief and chaos at every turn. Um, you know they're they're going around. King's getting upset. King's getting pissed off. Royal carriage gets attacked. Eventually, they decide to to knock out the power station. Um, gosh, wait, help me out here. Like, when does this end and, and, and tipping um, points begins? The, uh, soft war is the next one, but um. Oh, soft war. Sorry. Uh, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. I uh, this ends with them blowing up the power station. Yeah. And, okay. Um, them anointing Steel as leader. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah, they, it ends. They anoint Steel as leader. Again, yeah. not really a very distinctive end point. Just kind of another yeah. segment. Absolutely. Of this story. Um, the Forge Cookie is to seek something. Is to believe in its possibility. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's... That's true. I don't really. I don't really know what to say about this one. It's not. I, I feel like not. Not giving us a lot to work with here. I, I don't know. I feel like this um, points a lot to a lot of Anakin and Obi-Wan's hesitancy about this experiment. Where Anakin, at least Obi-Wan's hesitancy, where Anakin is kind of the good angel and Obi-Wan is kind of the bad angel. Um, uh, the bad angel. The devil. Damn it. Um, <laughs> the, ba- the bad angel. Nice job, you're like good job. It sounds like the name of a. That sounds like the name of like a sitcom. The bad angel. It's it's the good place to start. Yeah, you've heard of the good place. Now, now get ready, ready for, for the, the bad, bad angel. angel. <laughs> Bro. Oh uh, yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. Um. But like, I. It's. I feel like it's a lot about that experiment of this whole test case of Onderon and if this strategy can work and. Um, whether the faith in it impacts whether it works or not. They're, they start off with some attacks around the city, um, and then we pan up to the palace, where we meet maybe the worst character in this arc. King Sanjay Rash. <laughs> Did you realize his first name was Sanjay? I, that detail... I knew that, that detail eluded me when i was when i was preparing for this so perfect um, so incredibly perfect i i do want to say um i apologize to anyone who is named sanjay because it is a rough character to share a name with oh however yeah. however or anybody unfortunate enough to be named saw one of the one things i like about this arc is that he's named rash that's hilarious to me <laughs> i i like it when star wars does these super literal names like 
Han Solo. Or, I liked it a little or, bit before the Solo movie. Wait for it. Wait give for it. That scene. Rise. Savage Oppress. Yeah, Savage Oppress. That's a classic example. King Rash, you know. Luminar Unduly. Yeah. Is he called Rash because he acts rashly, or is he called Rash because his presence is like a rash on Onderon? Either way, it's hilarious, it and I, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. It's hilarious. By the way, so I want to ask you something. Yeah. Who's that random aide, the servant that Rash has through the entire arc that maybe says a few words and is with him in like every scene? Why is that guy there? There's literally no reason. Is it because when he he needs to talk to somebody to not seem like a creepy monologue style villain? Because that's literally the only conclusion I can draw from that random guy being there the entire time. You're right. Rash does have a lot of moments that are verging on like... It's pretty much verging on like Shakespearean style monologue where he's just standing there talking at no one in particular it's funny i, because, I guess technically that would be a soliloquy maybe i don't know yeah i don't know it's it's funny one of the that two. you mentioned that because the crown on rash's head is um inspired by um ancient greece yeah so yeah there are many ancient influences apparently yeah it rash like does seem like a very shakespearean character um he's also by the way just an asshole <laughs> what is it by the way what is his obsession i would almost call it what is his fetish with fruit I don't understand. I think it's kind of a symbol of that. I think it's kind of a symbol of the the power and the decadence. You know, the way he just eats fruit. He's just like eating fruit, tossing just fruit into the fire. Tossing the fruit into fire. Yeah, he takes like one bite out of the fruit and then tosses. It. I I don't know. And then he does the thing in the next episode where he takes the where, where he takes the bite of the fruit and then puts it through the execution chamber. Yeah, which is what yeah. happens to somebody's head when you cut it off? I mean, I think it is kind of a clever way. Maybe it's it's kind of a it's kind of a simple way to kind of convey something about the kind of decadent kind of high and mighty ruler he is. Because you know you kind of associate. I don't know. You just kind of associate that with this kind of laid back. Yeah. Roman Roman rulers, especially for like the biblical sense of like the I know, the I Romans know. and stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but he he is obsessed with fruit, especially in Star Wars, where most of the time we just see the characters when they eat eating like weird little gray squares. Maybe fruit's yeah. like a big luxury in Star Wars. Yeah, maybe that's why it was such a big. Maybe you got to be super powerful to get some fruit. Yeah, maybe that was why it was such a big deal when Padme and Anakin were doing the oh, fruit catch yeah. clones. Yeah. Maybe Anakin was like, "I'm from Tatooine. This is the first time I've ever had fruit." Or even better. I'm from Tatooine. We never got shit like this on this planet. But I'm, but I'm with a senator from a high class planet like the dude. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Because yeah. I can. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, so. Saw. Saw so. continues to confuse me. Everything that he says, I, uh, so. I uh, and and he, and he does. Also, that he does. He just doesn't think while doing things. You know, is it's a, it, it's crazy how much Saw just like acts in this arc, and just doesn't think about stuff. Of course, the obvious example is when he just goes off to um, free uh, King Dendum from the prison. 
but ends up, like, just royally screwing up. Like, we all knew he would, by the way. Yeah. I'm very mad at Saw in this arc, actually. Um, let's see. What else do you got for this? I honestly don't have a lot to say about any of these episodes, I'm going to be honest. Um, they, oh. they did not do it for me. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so also, here's the floor a fun- is kind of your... Like, I will, here's a fun... You can bounce yeah. ideas off me, but here's I think a funny the floor one. is yours. This is a weird thing I've noticed. Why... This is a monetary thing I've been noticing. Double part question, both from this episode and from uh, tipping points. Number one, why don't the the separatists just make all of their um, B two super battle droids um, rocket super battle droids? A and probably B, too expensive. Exactly, I'm gonna get back to that. B, why don't they just make all of their ships ray shielded like the HMP gunships, which you will say too expensive. To which I say to you, they don't seem to give, like, two shits about cost of anything. Like, there's that one line from, uh, the Levin's Heart Grievous, these battle droids aren't expensive. I understand that exists, but, like, how many droids do we see in the series? How many Octoptaris? How many Droidicas? How many AATs? How but, many but MTTs? I think those two things can ex- coexist and kind of have to, like, also, they're spending. Banks. They're spending astronomical amounts of money, astronomical amounts of money, on the army, the separatist army. Yeah. But they still have to keep everything on a budget so that they can spend that much money, and so yeah. that they can spend it effectively and get their numbers. Yeah. Like I don't know. What does the separatist army? What's a good? Like what does the separatist alliance spend any other money on? Capes for Dooku. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pajamas, no. They spend it on his pajamas. They spend it on his pajamas. The exquisite exquisite silk embroidered pajamas. Like, seriously, what do they spend any money on? Because what are they besides just a military state? Uh, That's a good question. I guess we never really see behind the curtain, but, you know, look look at the separatist senate. Like... Presumably they have a civil government as well. Presumably, presumably they, the civil government gets paid. Yeah, presumably they have a Not that much, though, I wouldn't say. Well, they, they, have, they probably have to provide services. Like, uh, we, we have no idea what the state of governments really are in Star Wars in terms of, like, do they, like, build roads? Do they provide water and stuff? Yeah. Like, it, seem, it seems like Star Wars is a very, very, very laissez-faire compared to like the united states or most countries in on our universe our reality um so i don't know yeah but sure uh, there's gotta be some stuff there's gotta be some stuff yeah um let's see um uh uh by the way when they're uh, preparing the aat to use it against the cannon there's that line, um, this requires a woman's touch. Um, and Saw goes, I was just about to do that. And Stila goes, uh-huh, sure you were. The chemistry between Saw and Stila is, like, completely and utterly underrated, in my opinion. Yeah. And I kind of wanted more of it because I just wanted, like, the death to hurt Saw a little bit more. I love, like, the brother sis- all the brother-sister, like, team-ups in Star Wars. Or whatever siblings, I guess... Whenever siblings in general in Star Wars get to team up, it doesn't happen a lot, but it's pretty awesome. Uh, also, so is Terrifying Tales. I tweeted about this the other day. 
If you've not watched Terrifying Tales, Lego Star Wars ter- Terrifying Tales, get on it because it's great. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, also, that sonic explosion, the sound design for that, just chef's kiss. Yeah. Absolutely. Great stuff. I love sound design, creative sound design in Star Wars. Um, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Ahsoka. Remember what I told you about staying focused? Anakin says as her, as like the new girlfriend of her ex is being praised relentlessly. Dude, if Rush Clovis was being praised in front of you with Padme in his arms, you would be singing a far different tune, my friend. Yeah. Just so... The whole, like, love triangle or whatever thing that they're trying to push here is so confusing to It me. is confusing. I, re- I it's think It's one that, of the thing I, things I wish was honestly gone from the arc. I, yeah, I just don't like it when... I think Star Wars and... I don't really like it usually when Star Wars in general tries to, to tackle romance, but especially not... The animated shows just really feels out of place and kind of it feels strange uh, to me the way it's the way it's all laid out and it, it kind of makes sense more when it's like the the existing I mean I guess Satine and and Obi Wan maybe are the exception like they have a good they have like a good they have an interesting compelling dynamic which I really can't say for Ahsoka and Lux no. or Lux and and Stila. Actually, Lux and Steel, I like, but whatever. I still don't. And there, it's, there's a part at the end of the episode where, um, who is it? Like a Steel or Saw picks up, um, Stila and twirls her around. Saw picks up Stila and twirls her around, and then like, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the names now. Saw picks up. I'm blanking on the names, but yeah, Saw picks up Stila and like whirls her around, and they're like, "Woo, we're so happy." We've, we did it. We knocked out the power grid. And then Lux looks super sad. He's like looking on and he's looking really sad. And it seems like he's sad because like Stila, but then it's Stila and Saw, like they're siblings. So the, if, the whole thing is just, very, that part feels like a continuity error or something. It, it was them trying to shoehorn in a reference. What were they trying to reference? supposed to be a reference to Leia and Han on Endor. Oh. It was, oh, it's like, oh, Han, you silly goose. No, no, no. He's uh, my brother. uh, There's even the line at the end of the episode, he's my brother, literally verbatim. Um, I'm sure Luke wasn't all that thing when it blew. Um, You love him. Don't worry, when he's back, I won't get in the way. No, it's not like that. He's my brother. (laughs) I think it was a deliberate... Um, throwback to that. I think it was a little too much shoehorned in. So does that mean that the character so is Saw not supposed to know that they're siblings or something? No, I think Lux is not supposed to know that they're siblings for some reason. Oh, sorry, yeah, I meant Lux. Yeah, That's for, so strange. It's so weird. That's it so, doesn't really like, make sense. The what, only thing I, I can think of I can, is, is that like Lux hasn't been with them for so long, we're, for, we're, for too long. And we're operating off the assumption that he looks sad in that scene because he thinks that now he, like, he thinks that, like, Lux is, is or he thinks that Saw is trying to, like, steal freaking Stila, Stila from him, despite the fact, because there's, that they're brothers, but, like, there's no other 
what other possible explanation from this like inexplicably like looking dismayed? Let's talk about this call with King Rash and Dooku, which is just so funny to me. I love this so much. So first of all, Rash called Dooku. We're automatically flipping the script. All of Dooku's henchmen in the Clone Wars never want to get a call from this guy. But Rash is calling him. I wrote in my notes. This scene reads to me like Dooku saying, Sanjay, a call from me is what most of my lackeys beg and pray not to have. What is actually wrong with you? Yeah. Also, by the way, it's... let's talk, let's let just clap it up for a second for King Rash for his incredible, ingenious, Thrawn-like strategy of blaming Count Dooku for his own failures to keep the rebels in check. To his face. To his face. That was a very good decision. Definitely even better when you consider that Dooku could force choke him from halfway across the galaxy. What is this guy's problem? Oh, I, I wanted to do one more thing. Dooku's introduction of Kalani. I don't know if you're, you caught this. I, I think this was a reference. I'm not sure. This is at least my interpretation of a, re a reference. This is the super technical droid Kalani. This is my apprentice, Darth Maul. He will succeed where you have failed. He will find your lost ship. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. It's a I feel like it's a reference to Phantom Menace. When... Dude, Dooku hypes up Kalani the way Apple hypes up the new iPhone when it comes <laughs> out. They're like, oh, those those old tactical droids. <clears throat> no, they're garbage now. What you really want is a super, super tactical droid. And I'm actually sending you one. Look at you. That's yeah. what it, that's what it felt like to me. <laughs> Yeah, I love super tactical droids, by the way. We'll see one in the D-Squad arc later. And then we'll see Kalani in Rebels in what is, my, in what is one of my favorite that's episodes. That's Kalani? Oh, yeah, that's Kalani. Oh, Remember that is so cool. When I Dooku not... at the end of the arc says, I'm sending you to Agamar, Agamar is where the Rebels crew finds him. No way. Rebels... I did. I Bro, I totally missed that. I told... Oh. It's it has one... been too long since I've watched Rebels, apparently. It's one of the best connective threads in Star Wars television ever, period. That's freaking awesome, dude. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Should we go on to go on. Soft War? Which is, I'm going to spoil this one for you, my favorite episode of this arc. All right. Um, in the Soft War, um, we meet uh, the leader of Onderon's royal army, uh, General Tandon. General Tandon is a little annoyed because... Kalani has a lot of different stratagem than he would prefer to use uh, for fighting the war against the insurgents. Um, meanwhile, Rash meets with Dendup yet again because he still doesn't believe that Dendup hasn't been ordering the rebels around, even though he has never met them in his life and he should really know better, but he's just apparently an idiot, so he can't be trusted to do really anything that makes any moral or common sense. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, they then hear that um, in Yolon Square, um, outside of the palace, um, the Separatists are planning to execute King Dendup for his crimes against the Separatist state of being the King of Andron. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway. They just uh, want to execute him. Yeah. They stage a rescue attempt uh, the rebels, um, and they, and it's only, it only happens because Saw gets captured earlier and wins over the allegiance of General Tandon. General Tandon then, um, 
backs up um, backs up the rebels with the Onderon royal army, and eventually the people even help rally um, against the um, the separatists um, at a big public event. Um, then eventually, uh, Dendub is brought to a rebel safe house, and uh, he. He expresses his pride over the actions of Stila, Lux, and Saw. Yeah. Good summary. So the fortune cookie here is to seek... Nope. Wait, no. I read the wrong fortune cookie. Yep. Struggles often begin and end with the truth. Pause right there. I gotta reference this other movie. Say it again. Struggles often begin and end with the truth. You can't handle the truth! <laughs> You want the truth? I think that's a, yeah, that's a good that's a good reference because I think that the truth is kind of both sides kind of struggle with accepting the truth, oh, especially absolutely. in this episode, but in this entire arc, you know, the rebels just obviously you know saw especially they got some things they gotta they gotta work out, and then the king King Rash. He's, I mean, he's just delusional. I, I like the idea of that you can't handle the truth from the movie A Few Good Men because it's interesting because the truth, like, the um, the idea that you can't handle the truth in that scene is no longer a dismissal, but it's a move of oppression. You aren't deserving enough to know the real truth. There's a lot of talk in this episode about who can handle the real truth and who can't, which I think is interesting. I gotta say, one of my favorite moral themes in this arc, um, in this episode specifically, is General Tandon and Kalani. There are these two strategical masterminds. One is a human, one's a droid, one can make actual choices and feel actual emotions, the other goes by the programming that he received. One is loyal to Onderon, the other is unshakably loyal to the Separatists. We have this facelessness with Kalani. You know, Tandon is actually human. Tandon can actually feel things. But Kalani will never break away from the system because he is the system. I find it fascinating. I find it really interesting. The idea of Kalani and Tandon and the similarities and the differences between the two of them. Um, yeah. Um, oh, also, let's talk about another scene from this palace scene, which is just incredible. I love this. This is one of the most unintentionally funny lines in Star Wars. I love this so much. So, um, uh, there's a piece of information that's given by Tandon to Rash. And Kalani goes, why was I not told of this? And Tannen goes, you just were. Yeah, that's... It's a really dumb line. I don't know why. So Rash asked that to Tannen? No, 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 no. Kalani asked that to Tannen. Why, why, why did I... Why, why was I not told of this? So Tannen tells something to Rash. I forget what it is. And then um, Kalani goes to Tannen. Why was I not told of this? And then Tannen says back, you just were. Yeah, I think the, that's... The way it's delivered is so hilarious, I will never get over it. I think that also, although it is pretty unintentionally funny, it also kind of... I think in that moment kind of illustrates the dynamic exactly of why 
Tandon ends up going back. Because it's kind of Tandon's frustration. And also, you know, Kalani, kind of the separatist mindset of, like, we're coming in, we're in charge now, we gotta know everything, and then and then and then Tandon's kind of like, hey, hang on, you're you're kind of pissing me off a little bit. Like you think you, you think you know everything. You think you want to be the big boss, but you're not actually from here, and I'm from here. Like I'm, I'm the real deal. I'm from Andron. Like you better, you better cool your jets. You know? Yeah, um, I I definitely agree with that. Um, Kalani makes Tandon think in a way I don't think he's ever really thought before. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, let's talk about the worst decision Rash makes in this entire arc. The public execution is maybe the worst tactical blunder I've ever seen. Yeah. First in of all... In terms of controlling the message about who you who is the good guy and who is the bad guy, it is the worst idea he has ever had. First of all, we are going to publicly execute a beloved king, a very popular and beloved king... And a vulnerable-looking old man king at that. Second of all, we're going to do it in public with evidently quite insufficient security. Since it's very easy for the 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 rebels to yeah. come in and rescue him. Yeah. Also, that won't make him a martyr or anything. Yeah, I mean that that's and that's pretty much what Ahsoka says. Yeah. It, it's it's so I can't believe like there's a super tactical droid right there. He should have told you what a mistake this was. This was a huge mistake. The super tactical droid, I think, yeah. to your point, that makes sense, though, in a way that Rash, in his, like, arrogance and, and lust for power, would kind of ignore the droid if, if you're correct in assuming that the droid would probably be like, oh, according to my calculations, this is a terrible idea. According yes. to my, according to my programming, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> you know. According to my like. programming, eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, like Kalani, just that's the thing. Like Kalani, probably I these super battles, super tactical droids. I feel so bad for them because they probably put up with so much dumbassery. Pardon my French. From all this, because all the separatist leaders. Time and again, we see all these separatist leaders whose downfall is their arrogance, and whose downfall is them kind of overreaching. And he has a check on it yeah. right and here. And he probably he probably like all these super tactical droids. Like if if they're if the if they are as good as at as if they are as good at tactics as they are made out to be, they see all this coming from a mile away. Like Trench, yeah. Admiral Trench, the way he goes down in season two. Season two, yeah, Cat and Mouse, the way he goes down there. The way, um, who's the, uh, who's the Skakoin who gets captured on Ryloth? Wattamba. That's Wattamba. That is, is Wat turned yeah. down the way, for Watt. The way yeah. turned down for Watt gets turned down. He had so many. <laughs> for Watt, exactly. He had so many, he had so many opportunities to leave. To leave Ryloth, having already plundered unimaginable and wealth. begging him too. Yeah, like the entire, like all his, all his forces were saying like, dude, we gotta leave. And he says no because he wants to wait for one more bit of like one more cart full of, of treasure including, or whatever. Including um, the Ark from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, <laughs> including when he already had, could have he already could have made out like a bandit. Yeah, and maybe he was going to use fine. the Ark because um, nobody would know not to look at it. And maybe yeah, he's going to use yeah. the Ark against <laughs> the Twilight. So hey, check this out. <laughs> Boom. 
Everest melts. Yeah, no, 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 um, yeah, uh, yeah, um, by the way, purpose must come before feelings. I got a new definition of this. I got a new meaning of this. I don't, I no longer actually think it's a bad, um, I realize in this episode, I, I no longer think it's a bad, uh, request. I think it's just poorly phrased. Um, because I realize one of the morals of this arc is that the intensity of war can sometimes cause tunnel vision and cause people to do really dumb things. But the best leaders are the ones who can see the bigger picture. Stila, yeah. Ahsoka. Look, there is even a line in a Rebels trailer and in the Rebels episode Steps into Shadow. Um, after the first two seasons of Star Wars Rebels uh, villains couldn't get their shit together, um, Governor Price says, I need someone who sees... A bigger picture. Yeah. And that's how we got your blue, your blue guy, Daba D, Daba Die, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. Um, and uh, purpose must come before feelings. Don't focus on so much on the little details. It's the big picture you need. Which also is actually a really good guide on how to view Star Wars stuff, honestly. You know, like, how does this work in Star Wars? Star Wars is about the why, not the how. Don't get tunnel vision. Yeah. Great line. When Saw is captured by uh, Tandon, Tandon goes, Aligning yourself with the past does not bode well for your future. <laughs> wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Let the past die. Kill it. <laughs> if you have to. Yeah. The same line, and they're both said by villains. Just saying. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of a lot of a lot of um a lot of villains, not just in Star Wars, but in all sorts of things, you know, a lot of villains are like, oh, get with the times, and then it's always like, oh no, you win because of the power of you know friendship and actually valuing people and and things of of real value, absolutely. and not not just not just power and and money, which is usually what um. Either power or or money is usually what like out of the whole like get with the times, get out of the past, progress, progress, must keep moving forward. Like that's all a euphemism for money and power, and this is no exception, I think. Absolutely. Sorry, that was like super random, but I no, just thought of that. No, it's 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 absolutely correct. Um, uh, I agree with that. Uh, what was I gonna say? Damn it. Uh, yeah. No. It, it. Um. I. I'm a real. I have a real. I'm a real sucker for. Uh, switching si- characters, switching sides, especially from uh, villains to heroes, mm, yeah. and that is why I love General Tannen's arc in this episode so much because you can totally see it coming. It's telegraphed to you, and yet it still feels so darn good yeah. when he steps down there and says, "The only snake I see, sire, is you." I think what makes it good is that there is that buildup. I think that's often what makes it good. Is it? I mean, in this, sometimes it's little hints. Sometimes like this, it's very obvious, is that we get to see him kind of change, or not really change, but we get to see him kind of reason his way and feel his way to the conclusion that he needs to 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 switch sides. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, let's see what else. Um, I also like this reveal here that Dendup didn't choose a side in the war, so it was chosen for him. And it's interesting that Saw flips the script on that decision. That decision is made by Dendup out to be a cowardly decision. 
but by Saw, it's made out to be a noble decision. The Separatists took over Onderon because we let them. Basically, Dendup was trying to keep his people out of the war, but we, it's the people of Onderon's fault for letting the Separatists take over. We could have done more. And it's an interesting defense of Dendup and, and, and an idea that I never really considered. So Let's get to tipping points. Tipping um, points. Here at we the beginning go. of tipping points, um, uh, King Dendup addresses um, the Onderonian public through holograms. Um, much uh, very similar to that first episode. Uh, that's to the third episode. Uh, that is, we see the new Rebels mountain base in the Highlands. Uh, Dendup appoints Stila as commander of the military. Um... Uh, Stila and Lux get together a little bit, um, uh, and then the fight begins in the Highlands against the droids. The droids operate these new HMP gunships. If you ever played Star Wars Force Arena, they were a really good AoE card that you could <laughs> use. By the way, pour one out for uh, Star Wars Force Arena. Rip Star Wars Force Arena. Rip Star Wars the, Force Arena! One of the many Star Wars mobile games that has gone too soon. Absolutely, 100%. They, they say no match against the HMP gunships. Um, so um, Anakin and Obi-Wan uh, ask themselves who in the galaxy is running around with an extra batch of missiles. And then they figure it out. My friends! My friends! My friends! So they go to Hondo, and Hondo delivers missiles. Um, and there's a long fight. Um, and then Stila, precious Stila, is Ripping hit piece. by a crashed HMP gunship and dies when a cannon shoots Ahsoka, causing her to lose her force grip on her and letting her fall to her death. The it ends. Um, the arc ends with the joint celebration of Onderon's freedom from the Separatists. And the funeral of Stila Guerrera, uh, which pushes Saw as far into insanity as he can possibly go, setting up his arcs in Star Wars Rebels and in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. By the way, did you know his last last word words on Jedha were Stila? That is only in the uh, the novelization. The novelization. Still, it's not in the the movie. No. It would have been would have so been, cool if it was in the movie. It also would have made no sense though, because yeah. like, like say Darth a lot Maul of the, like half the people, like ha- yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of the things where half the people, like half the people, are probably like, oh my gosh, oh wow, oh that's so cool, oh and whoa, that really like, hits. What the frick? Half the people are just like, who? Who? What? Where? Who? What's a Stila? Yeah. What am I looking at? Yeah. Fortune cookie is disobedience is a demand for change. That's definitely true. Yeah. There's not really much more to this, honestly. Like, yeah. You're not disobedient. No one can be disobedient and satisfied. Like, this is a... This is a fortune cookie for the arc more than the episode, honestly. Yeah, I, I think it... At least in this episode, the people are de- like the people are definitely on board for the rebellion at this point. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Like they're actually on the side of the. Also, by the they, way, make no mistake. At this let's point. just talk about battle droids firing on Onderonian citizens. Yeah. One of them like smashed a fruit on their head, and automatically they just start attacking everybody. I'm like, do you realize the kind of shit like that? 
Rash would take for just blatant war crimes. I'm not saying the, the Republic is innocent. The Republic is clearly not innocent because gestures to all the war crimes that the Jedi commit, but whatever. Stila tells Saw, we all want victories, but not at the cost of innocent lives. Yeah. Right, Saw? Right? right remember Saw, innocent yeah. lives? Inusagi remembers Saw. Pepperidge Farms remembers Saw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, what would, have Stila, what would Stila have thought of Inusagi? Spoiler, she would have hated it. Yeah. <laughs> she would have never known the use of flechette launchers on innocent civilians. I also just realized that we all want victory, but not at the cost of innocent lives could also be foreshadowing for her death. Yeah. Just gonna let that sit for a second. There was not a lot I liked about this arc. Hondo, you know, it's always, it's always nice to see to see Hondo pop up every every now and then um he's like one of those uh he's just one of those people who pops back in now again you're like oh wait it's hondo so you know i i i small galaxy syndrome probably yeah but who cares also, it's hondo also, I'll, I'll gladly make excuses for hondo also, what if i needed weapons transported illegally <gasps> illegally <laughs> dude it's hondo come on yeah. gotta love him also by the way where are the currency exchanges in the galaxy? He once again says non-Republic credits. Have the Jedi not learned their lesson about currency exchanges from Tatooine? Yeah, they really have. They also, gotta get some whoopee whoopy or something. Yeah, or something. I don't know. Yeah. Also, by the way, fill in the blank for me. This is a little Star Wars trivia. Just so. blank fleet systems. You'll know this. Okay, I feel like there's a couple uh, Bactoid fleet systems. Not that one. Not that. Not back. It begins with the letter S. Sinar fleet systems. There we go. Honda pronounces it Cyanar in this episode. Ooh, I've always pronounced I, it Cyanar. Is this Nita, another Wazelle? No, cause I I feel no. I feel like there's legitimately. I feel like this is. Yeah, because I think it should be Cyanar because they say Cyanar in Rebels when they're talking about um, in the epi- in the Empire Day episode, they're pre- they present the uh, the. The tie advanced with uh, Baron Valand Rudor. Apparently, there's no established pronunciation. That's stupid. Okay, cool. Welcome to Star Wars, everybody. Um. Anyway. Um. Let's see. Yeah. Also, this is a fun line when Ahsoka's calling Anakin and Obi Wan on um, Onderon from Onderon. Yeah. Me- Obi-Wan says, even Master Windu would be wary at this point. Yeah. I'm like, even Master Windu? Master Windu doesn't need an excuse to be wary. He's constantly wary. What are you talking about, Obi-Wan? This is Mace Windu you're talking about. The guy who makes it his life mission to constantly be wary of everything. And then, of course... (sighs) I didn't want to get here, but... Stila dies. Stila bites it. Rip. Yeah. It was it was very suspenseful, but it kind of. I honestly I honestly thought it was over dramatic. I I don't know. It didn't didn't quite land with me. That's fair. Um. Yeah. Uh. I also um. 
A final quote I'd like to reference from this episode. Um, it's like you once said, many lives get caught between the Republic and the Separatists. Ahsoka is finally opening up her opinions on the galaxy and not just saying whatever the Jedi want her to say. This is, in my opinion, the beginning of of her realization that the Jedi may not be all they're cracked up to be. Hmm, interesting. That's just my opinion, though, of course. Um, okay, what's your thought about this arc as a whole? My thoughts about this arc as a whole... I'm not a fan. I, I am not a fan overall. I think, um... To me, it just felt like a slog... I think it really, really, really did not have to be four episodes. They totally could have fit it into three, maybe even two, if they really wanted to. Um, I, I just thought overall, um, it, overall, it just didn't really have a lot, lot going for it. I thought, um, I just thought a lot of the the character, the characters just just felt kind of off. Um, none of the none of the chemistry really really worked um wasn't really a fan of the the dialogue the visuals were nothing special um so overall yeah it just was kind of a it just felt like kind of a struggle um i wasn't really a fan of it i'd say it did have some bright spots like it's not it's not all doom and gloom for me but definitely some of my probably some of my least favorite um episodes of the clone wars i hate to say it so I don't think you're going to be surprised about this because I've been alluding to this all along. These are some of my favorite episodes of The Clone Wars. This arc is... I love the themes about choice and I love the revolutionary feel about it and I love the boots-on-the-ground feel. I don't like the boots-on-the-ground feel generally in Star Wars, but this one is just one that really does it for me for some reason. Um, this is my favorite arc in Season 5. Oh, wow. I'm saying it. This is my favorite arc in Season 5. I think, like, technically, like, like story-wise speaking, I think probably... The mall arc at the end of five is better, but I like this better. So, um, yeah, I like Onderon. I love our introductions to Saw, and I love our introductions to um, Stila, and I love I, I love a lot about this arc, and this is one of my favorites. This is up there with Mon Calamari for me, honestly. Um, yeah. How would you rank these? Mm, that's, that's an interesting question, because I think for me... I feel like the they I feel like part of the part of what makes us feel to me kind of interminable a little bit is that there's no real clear distinction between any of the episodes in 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 the what they tackle it just kind of feels like it was randomly chopped up and 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 divided up kind of at random um but I I'd probably say uh I would probably say uh Number one, tipping points. Number two, front runners. Number three, the soft war. And number four, a war on two fronts. Um, for me, it would be uh, the soft war at the top, then tipping points, then a war on two fronts, then front runners myself. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, no, I think... Uh, but they work the best as an arc. I do agree with that. Yeah. Um, you ready to get into everybody's favorite part of Star Wars? Everybody's favorite part. Let's do it. What you want me to die is worth one quarter portion. As is our routine every uh, episode until that live stream that Alberto has invited us on from Star Wars uh, uh, Radio Rebellion. Uh, we're going to do five Star Wars trivia questions for each other. Um, 
get some warm ups going. We where we got we got some we we were getting ready. Um, we got some fearsome opponents, and when we got we got to do some we got to do some prepping. Okay, uh, you want to go first with your first question? Yes. How many lightsabers can be seen in the original trilogy? Four. Yes, that is correct. Yes. There is in order of appearance. Obi Wan's lightsaber. Obi Wan. Luke's no Obi Wan's lightsaber. Vader's lightsaber. Luke's lightsaber and Luke 2.0 lightsaber. Luke's yeah. lightsaber 2.0. That would be the correct question. Here's a fun one. How can um, how many uh, lightsabers can you see in original trilogy um, uh, era Star Wars movies? Original trilogy era Star yeah. Wars movies. Th- this is not like one of mine. I'm just saying. So would that though just would that include Rogue One and Solo or? And maybe something else. Think about stuff that takes place in the original trilogy era. I thought you said movies. Yeah, in the like, there could be original trilogy. I'll just I'll just reveal it to you. By the way, because I don't know what the parameters are like. If you're talking about comic books as well, no, I'm saying just in movies. I'm just saying just in movies. Oh, six, six, yeah. The four from before, Maul and Solo, and Leia's lightsaber in the Rise of Skywalker flashback, which takes place about a year after Return of the Jedi. Oh, very clever. Very um, clever. Yeah. Although technically this is not in an original trilogy era movie, so that is debatable, but I like yeah. it. I'll accept it. All what right. type of blaster does Boba Fett use in the Empire Strikes Back? I believe it is an E3 carbine rifle. Very, very close. That would be an EE3 carbine an rifle. An E! Ah, oh, the extra E! Oh, oh man. Wow, that's close. EE3. All right. Nice. All right, you ready? You want me to hit you with another one? Absolutely. <clears throat> what is the name of Lando's co-pilot in Return of the Jedi? That would be Nine Num. Yes, not Ten Num. Nine Num. Who's a pilot, right? Ten Num's a pilot. Yes, they're both. They're both pilots, and they're both. Uh, they're both. Uh, Ten Num's an alien Celest- pilot, right? Yeah. Celestians. They're both from the planet Solus, so they're yeah. Celestians. Yeah. Um. After, this is probably the most difficult of all of my. Um. After he absorbs Ray and Ben's life forces. How long does Palpatine say it has been since a dyad has been seen? A, a dyad, dyad in the Force. Unseen for... Hmm, I'm going to go with a thousand years. That would be generations. Generations, okay. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, go with your third one? I will, I will accept that. Mm-mm. Who is the only actor of a major character to appear in all nine trilogy movies? That would be Anthony Daniels. Yes, Anthony Daniels, C-3PO. He actually appears in 10 movies because he also appears in Solo. Solo is tack. He just doesn't appear in Rogue One. Yeah. No, he actually does. He does? Oh, Scat. I can't believe that. He appears Dude, in 10 he... movies as C-3PO. The 11th he appears as Tack. Wow, okay. Because he was not credit On Wikipedia, it did not credit him for Rogue One, so... I think there he was uncredited in the movie, but oh, he like made cameo. that cameo in wow, the Wow, wow, base. wow. You learn something new. You learn something new every day. How many systems does Dr. Cornelius Evazon have the death sentence on? Mm, gosh, I should know this. A dozen systems? Twelve systems. Yeah, close enough. No, I thought that was right. A dozen right, systems. So, yeah, go ahead with your fourth one. According to C-3PO... 
What are the odds of successfully navigating an asteroid field? That would be 3,720 to 1. Ding, Never ding, ding. Never tell me the odds. Yes. Um, Never told me the odds. What is the name of the Wookiee city that Master Yoda helps defend against the Separatists in the Battle of Kashyyyk? That would be Karchiro, I believe. Very close, Kachiro. Kachiro, I forget. Yeah, these pronunciations mess me up. Yeah. I'll take it though. No, close enough. Um, what's your last one? Okay. Who is the first person in Star Wars to say it's a trap? In terms of when the movies were made chronologically. That'd be Leia. Yes, it is not actually Akbar. He gets all the credit, but, but Leia, Leia says, says it in Empire. Empire Strikes Back. Leia says it in Empire Strikes Back. And finally, from my April mind, showers, like, May flowers, and May gets all the credit. Yeah. Um, what is the name of General Hux's flagship in The Force Awakens? Ooh, I should know this. Uh, General Hux's flagship. Probably wrong, but is it the Invincible? It is the Finalizer. Ah, oh, the Finalizer. Right, right, right. All right, yeah. Uh, I remember was, now. That was fun. Uh, that's going to be it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy watching all the stars we can get our hands on. Next week, next week we're going to do a special episode of some kind. We're still deliberating as to what that will be, but we're going to be releasing a special episode of some kind. Um, this is supposed to be for the end of Season 7, but due to some scheduling difficulties we had to do it at, at, at the beginning of uh season eight thank you for listening to this episode of star wars in the galaxy um you can follow us on twitter at in a galaxy pod um you can follow us on instagram at star wars in the galaxy you can listen to us anchor spotify breaker google podcasts apple podcasts Wherever you listen to your podcast, we'll be there. If we're not, let us know. Uh, speaking of letting us know, please email us, swinagalaxy at gmail.com. Share your thoughts, your hot takes, your six degrees of Star Wars, your trivia questions. Anything um, that you want to share with us, please do. Our next episode is actually going to come out next week. Um, we do have time to record next week, so it will come out next week. Then um, I guess the only thing left to say is may the force be with you. May the force Always. be with you. <laughs>